This is a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Welcome to the State of Delusion. My name is Matthew Thompson, and I am your host. For today, we have a great show for you coming up, uh, filled with the stories from last month's uh, news. It took longer than expected to make this. Um, uh, Our first story is going to be about uh, the rail strike that wasn't. And then we're going to go on to talk about Kirsten Cinema going independent. And uh, we'll also talk about the passage of a good bill in Congress that has now become law. And finally, we're going to look into uh, FTX um, exploding, basically, and uh, collapsing last month. Uh, but before I get started, uh, I just want to say the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of WSUM the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. So without further ado, today is January 20th, 2023, uh, and let's get started. So, uh, twas the strike before Christmas that Biden had blocked. President Joe Biden signed legislation Friday to block a U.S. railroad strike that could have devastated the American economy. The bill I'm about to sign ends a difficult rail dispute and helps our nation avoid what, without a doubt, would have been an economic catastrophe at a very bad time in the calendar. Well, speak for yourself. Economic catastrophe sounds like the perfect excuse for why I didn't get my parents' presents last year. Well, you know, Mom and Dad, I would have gotten you presents, but then, you know, Thomas and friends decided they weren't going to run on time. And uh, now there's an economic catastrophe. Anyways, thanks for the socks. But this uh, from Reuters, Biden signs bill to block U.S. rail strike. The U.S. Senate voted 80 to 15 on Thursday to impose a tentative contract deal reached in September on a dozen unions representing 115 workers. Eight of the 12 unions had ratified the deal. Four unions have rejected it over its lack of paid sick leave. Now, what that Reuters article doesn't tell you is that four that rejected this deal included two of the largest unions representing 51,000 railroad workers. But a bill with at least seven days paid sick leave did pass the House and got a majority of votes in the Senate with 52 for, 43 against, but not the 60 votes necessary to pass in the Senate. Now, what's interesting is one of the uh, senators who voted against that seven days paid sick leave bill was Senator Joe Manchin, a Democratic senator from the state of West Virginia. Uh, Biden did not back this seven days paid sick leave bill that got a majority uh, in the House and a a simple majority in the Senate. But the bill had prominent Republicans backing it, like Senator Josh Hawley, who recently uh, said this at a conservative conference. Why don't you turn off the computer and log off the porn and go ask a real woman on a date? When you make him look more reasonable than you, I think it's time to reevaluate your politics. But fear not, because Biden 
also said this. And look, I know this bill doesn't have paid sick leave that these rail workers and frankly every worker in America deserves. But that fight isn't over. Yes, Biden will not forget you. Like that time that, you know, he forgot that there were only 50 states in the union. That's why we were defeated in 2018 when they tried to do it. We went to 54 states. But Biden and the Democrats uh, were not the only ones who failed working people last month. Uh, CNN and their coverage of the railroad strike was pretty biased in favor of one direction. See if you can see um, the bias. A rail strike is one of the most disruptive and expensive things that can happen to an economy. A rail shutdown or strike would disrupt supply chains. A strike means food prices could skyrocket. Do you believe a strike is worth it if it cripples the U.S. economy and costs up to $2 billion a day? It's a little less than a month right before Christmas here. Especially right before the holidays. President Biden warning if that happened... It would devastate the economy if we had a strike like that. So joining me now to talk about this and a lot more is Bank of America. It's Brian Moynihan, chairman and CEO, one of the biggest banks in the world. The chairman and CEO of one of the biggest banks in the world is brought on to talk about a labor dispute among railroad workers. That's like doing a segment on why smoking causes cancer and inviting the Marlboro CEO on. Do cigarettes cause cancer, as recent studies have suggested? Well, joining us to help us find out the truth is the CEO of Marlboro. Because who better to ask than the largest cigarette company in the world? Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. But you know what? I'm going to give the last word on how we should view these strikes as working people to uh, a railroad union worker who spoke to uh, More Just Union uh, about this. I would say to every working person in this country, whether you work on the railroad or not, um, if and when there is a strike anywhere amongst any craft or any industry, you as a working person uh, should be there to support it in whatever ways you can. And so I would encourage all working people uh, to have our back if and when we go on strike. Amen to that. And now for our next uh, story. Uh, Kirsten Cinema announced that she is no longer a Democrat. <coughs> and became an independent. Because you know what? She is a proud, strong, independent senator that don't need no Democratic Party. Uh-huh. And this came as a surprise to, well, um, no one. She has not gone to Democratic caucus meetings in the past. She's not someone who has participated in those meetings, and she's not going to in the future. So she's not exactly in the Democratic caucus. She just votes with them most of the time. So it was more of a casual relationship, you might say. And she just decided... Why label it? Uh, now, you might be wondering, uh, what was she doing if she wasn't attending um, Democratic caucus party meetings? Uh, well, according to a leaked memo from the Daily Beast, uh, exclusive to the Daily Beast, entitled The Incredible 37-Page Guide for Staffing, Senator Kirsten Cinema 
with a subtitle of No Middle Seats. She is doing either a few things. She's probably at her weekly hour-long massage appointments, even if it's in the middle of a busy legislative workday. And if she's not at that, she's getting coffee with her donors or lobbyists for 15 to 20 minutes, which is 100% more time than she allows for her constituents that she represents, giving them only three minutes within a one-hour block on Wednesdays. Now, you hear her explain why she left the Democratic Party. She describes herself as a typical Arizonan who doesn't think about partisan politics. We make decisions about what's best for ourselves, our family, and our community. And so we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, is this a Republican idea or is this a Democratic idea? Is this liberal or is this conservative? That's not how Arizonans think. What we think about is, is this just a deep tissue massage or are my footsies included too? Is the person I'm going to be meeting with today giving me lots of money? Or are they just my normal broke-ass constituents? Should I be meeting with people with lots of money for 20 or 15 minutes? Now, the reason why she decided to go independent is uh, pretty simple. Democrats in her own state um, don't like her. A poll taken this past January, just as Senators Cinema and Manchin were throwing a wrench in President Biden's agenda, found that only 19 percent of Democratic primary voters in Arizona approved of the job Senator Cinema was doing. That same poll found Senator Cinema would lose a hypothetical primary race to Arizona Democratic Congressman Ruben Gallego by a whopping, staggering 58 points. 58. 19 percent approve of the job that she's doing. 19 percent. She's as unpopular as candy corn on Halloween. Now, after her announcement, she swore up and down that this wasn't about politics. It's not about bypassing a Democratic Party primary where she would lose by 58 points. No, no, no. She's not even thinking about her reelection in 2024. Our state senior senator filing to run as an independent in 2024. While this doesn't mean she is officially running for a second term, it lets her keep raising money for a potential campaign. Doesn't mean she's running. I mean, that's like, that's like if I was in a committed monogamous relationship, uh, but I started a Tinder account saying, I'm not leaving you. No, sweetheart, I'm not leaving you. This just allows me to continue to make matches and explore my options in case I do want to leave you. Now, her motivations are like any other corrupt senator or career politician. She's thinking about herself, and she is just couching in in the language of, I'm doing this for the people, when she doesn't even want to meet with the people for more than three minutes. Meanwhile, something very good did happen last month. This from the AP, a bill protecting same-sex Interracial unions clears Congress. The House gave final approval Thursday to legislation protecting same-sex marriages, a monumental step in a decades-long battle for nationwide recognition that reflects a stark turnaround in societal attitudes. Now, I'll let uh, the author of the bill, who's the first openly gay senator and our very own senator from the state of Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, explain what the bill does and uh, what this means to her personally. 
So really what the bill does is if you are married in a state where that marriage was legal when entered into, um, you are going to have your marriage recognized if you take a vacation to Florida or you, uh, you know, go somewhere else, visit the nation's capital, right? Um, that, that's portability. Um, that legal acts of one state will be recognized by others. And this just specifies that um, that refers to interracial and same-sex marriage. So I'll tell you the thing that gets me so choked up is all the times somebody comes up and says, this matters to me. <sighs> you know, as humble as the legislation is, um, just some people didn't like that's the first time I've seen the Senate do something that totally matters to me personally. I mean, wow, right? Wow is right. It's stories like this that make me have, you know, hope in America. You know, we've come so far as a country. It may have taken us a long time to get to this point. But you know what? We're finally beating back bigotry in all its forms from racism to homophobia, to, to... Any kid in those schools could tell you that men and women are not the same. Just like they could tell you this cat lady isn't a cat. I am a cat. Meow, meow. I'm not a woman dressed as a cat. I am a cat. By show of hands, I'm curious, uh, how many of you believe and confess that I'm a cat? So, Lindsay, what was actually happening at this school district that made you have to dress up as a cat to prove your point. Well, first of all, Jesse, I'd like you to not miss a species. I'd like to be addressed as a cat for the entirety of this video, of course. Of course. Uh, so I apologize. This was in my, but when you put them in charge of children, we're talking about a new type of indoctrination. And that's what's really terrifying is seeing these people in charge of our kids' education. There are people. There are people on our side. And all it takes is just a few of us to stand up and speak truth and find those partners in crime, if you will. And then we really can unite together and fight back against this and save our children. Okay. So we still have to work on transphobia. But can we just mention that Paw Patrol's here, who came to a school board meeting in her cat suit, uh, thinks that she and her totally sane friends should be in charge of children's education over completely sane, often more educated trans people? Also, her name happens to be Lindsey Graham, because for some reason God thought, one Lindsey Graham? No, that's not enough. How about two? Now, finally, for our main story, I decided to take a deeper look into FTX. Now, you may remember those uh, commercials from the Super Bowl with Larry David and Tom Brady for FTX. Trade? Are you, are you sure? Not a trade trade. I'm trading crypto. FTX is the safest and easiest way to buy and sell crypto. It's the best way to get in the game. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Okay. It does appear that they are filing Chapter 11 uh, at, uh, at, um, at FTX. The FTX group have commenced voluntary proceedings under Chapter 11 of the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. Wiped out. Total wipeout. Uh, Yes, on November, Friday the 11th, 
in the year of our Lord, 2022, FTX filed for bankruptcy. So how did a company initially valued in September 2022 at $32 billion and holding $16 billion in customer assets collapse and implode? Or you may even say FTX explode. Well, first, we need to explain uh, what cryptocurrency is. So with regular currency, if I go to the store and use uh, my debit card, which has U.S.-backed dollars on it, uh, that store's computer checks with my bank's computer to make sure that I have the money to pay for that thing. And so there's one computer to another computer. But let's say that I've invented a new cryptocurrency, a never-before-seen, fresh, hot on the market, called DuckCoin. So I go to the same store and use my DuckCoin to buy something, and the store computer checks not a bank computer, but a network of thousands of computers. to make sure that I have enough duck coin to buy a thing, and then it clears it. So it's one computer to a network of thousands of computers. Uh, more duck coin is created at random based on each individual computer's accuracy and how fast they got to the correct answer uh, based on a random question that the creators will set up, and whoever gets that, whichever computer gets that answer first, basically a new duck coin is created. Now, if you're asking yourself, oh, okay, well, where does the value come from? Well, <laughs> you are correct. Um, there is no value. Because you see, the reason that the U.S. dollar has value is because at the end of the year, I have to pay taxes to an entity known as the United States of America. And I can only pay my taxes in U.S. dollars. I can't pay it in chickens. I can't pay it in Bitcoin. I can't pay it in duck coin. I have to pay it in the U.S. dollars. And we all accept that currency. Whereas with duck coin or Bitcoin or whatever coin, I, you, you don't have to pay taxes in that. And there are thousands of these cryptocurrencies now uh, that people basically speculate on. So this brings us to Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, the founder of FTX. He is the son of two Stanford professors, and he himself is a graduate of MIT. His name sounds like, and he coincidentally looks like, if you look up the guy, um, he looks like the guy in high school who uh, sold weed in the school parking lot, but it was really just cilantro. And as we'll find out later, this is actually what his business model is, too. So the first business he started was in 2017 with Alameda Research, a crypto investing firm. At Alameda Research, he started trading Bitcoin between the U.S. and Japan, noticing that there was a slight price difference that he could exploit to make a profit. Then he would go to create FTX, which was an exchange platform where people could trade cryptocurrencies, kind of like how on Robinhood you can place trades based on uh, stocks for major companies. But this was exclusively for cryptocurrency. Basically, the goal of FTX 
was to become one of the most trusted platforms uh, in trading cryptocurrencies. So they did this in a lot of ways. They did huge advertising campaigns, as we saw at the beginning of this segment, enlisting celebrities like Larry David and Tom Brady. They even had an FTX arena in Miami. I mean, there was a commercial with Steph Curry in it as well. All this aggressive advertising to draw in consumers to invest their actual U.S. dollars into FTX exchange. Now, in April, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried basically accidentally said out loud what FTX's actual business model really was. He described in an interview uh, what was best characterized by the host of that podcast, uh, Bloomberg's Matt Levine, uh, as he described Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX as being in the Ponzi business, as in being in the scamming business, as in lying to customers, as in ripping off people, to which Sam Bankman-Fried replied, that's a pretty reasonable response with a depressing amount of validity, which, kids, this is the worst way to hide that you've committed a crime. If you are put on trial for murder and the lawyer says to you, it kind of seems like you're guilty of killing this person based on the evidence, you don't say, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable response with a depressing amount of validity. Besides this Freudian slip, the media loved him. Many media outlets thought that he was a genius. He was on the cover of Forbes magazine. He had a fortune magazine say that he was the next Warren Buffett or maybe even J.P. Morgan. The New York Times even praised him for being frugal and disheveled because he likes to wear shorts and a T-shirt even though he has a freaking mansion in the Bahamas. They also had a headline praising his style titled No Pants, His Rules. Okay, so according to all these newspapers, Sam Bankman-Fried is a big banker who's really just a penny pincher at heart, who's also a successful investor who doesn't wear pants. Folks, this man is Scrooge McDuck. And I'm bah humbug to you. Everything had seemed to be going well for FTX, but like all good Ponzi schemes, it had to come to an end. But in the early morning hours of November 11th, it all came to an end when FTX filed for bankruptcy and Bankman Fried stepped down as CEO amid reports of FTX customer funds being used to pay Alameda Research creditors. Right. I mean, essentially, the, the reporting has shown that they were basically taking customer money and investing it in other ventures. And then when the customers wanted to pull it out, they were like, well, there's no money to pull out. Um, there was a court filing earlier this week stating that, you know, they may owe more than one million customers money. Yep. FTX took customers real money that they had deposited into FTX to fund a bunch of bets that Sam Bankman-Fried's other firm, Alameda Research, placed and lost that real money. But he did store up on FTTs, his made-up cryptocurrency with no real value, that was losing any value that it did have rapidly. The problem is they could not get real money with FTTs or even withdraw that currency. So abracadabra, suddenly you're broke. And here is George Stephanopoulos from Good Morning America confronting Sam with FTX's 
own user agreement that they make people sign, which is in violation with his company borrowing money from customers without their consent. If yep. Alameda is borrowing the money that belongs yep. to FTX depositors, that's a bright red line, isn't it? There are a lot of cases where that's actually explicitly part of the programs and that are but happening. But not, not here. Here it says that the digital assets may not be loaned to FTX trading. They can't be loaned out. I. Uh, there existed a borrow lending facility on FTX. And, and I think that's probably covered. I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere else in the terms of service. George stumped the boy genius on his own company's agreement. If you're wondering if I added the whispering, the I didn't. That was Sam Bankman Freed trying to figure out how to admit to fraud without actually, you know, saying it out loud. Carry the one, uh, multiply by five, uh, divide by two. Is it, is it stealing customers' money without their consent for 500? What's more concerning? than a Ponzi scheme going bust is the fact that Sam Bankman-Fried has had growing political influence in Washington. In the 2020 presidential election, he spent $5 million on a super PAC to support President Joe Biden and told NBC that he plans to spend a billion dollars in the 2024 presidential election, frugally, of course, in 2022, he spent $40 million helping Democrats win their elections. In one case, he poured a million dollars into the Protect Our Future PAC, which helped to defeat ex-Bernie Sanders surrogate and critic of crypto, Nina Turner, and put in her place Chantel Brown, who's more favorable towards cryptocurrency and now sits on a committee that regulates cryptocurrency. Sam Bankman-Fried also has... Uh, weird political connections to other former and current politicians. Sam Bankman-Fried got to interview former Prime Minister Tony Blair and former President Bill Clinton in the Bahamas at a crypto convention attended by other celebrities and investors. And Bill Clinton even said at this CryptoCon that government regulators should have a do-no-harm approach to cryptocurrency. That was my Bill Clinton, by the way. This advice is coming from a man, Bill Clinton, who repealed the Glass-Steagall Act, which some have said could have potentially stopped or hindered the 2008 financial crisis, you know, that crisis where people lost homes and jobs, if it was still in place, and helped ship thousands of jobs overseas with the signing of NAFTA, hurting both working-class people in America and abroad. So not exactly the guy you want to take advice from when it comes to big financial decisions in the 21st century. Maybe, maybe you can get advice from him on how to survive a scandal, though. Hey, Sam, have you ever tried looking into the camera and saying, I did not commit fraud. I did not commit fraud with your money because it's not fraud if it's no longer yours. His brother worked as an aide for Representative Sean Caston, and eventually Representative Sean Caston became a member of the Digital Assets Working Group on the House Financial Services Committee, a group that focuses on 
guess what? Cryptocurrency. Now, you're probably going, Matthew, this is just reaching a little bit and a little bit conspiracy-minded, which maybe it is, but let me zero in on two case studies of what I would call flat-out corruption. So you may have noticed um, that all the people that I've named so far are Democrats, but worry not, because corruption and cryptocurrency can be a bipartisan affair. The co-CEO, Ryan Selmy of FTX, spent $23.6 million in support of Republicans in 2022. And that brings us to our main case tonight of Tom Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota who is now the majority whip for Republicans. Now, in 2022 elections, he was the head of the National Republican Congressional Committee, which helped to elect Republicans nationwide. An associated super PAC called the Congressional Leadership Fund received $2.5 million from FTX, a substantial amount from Selmy himself, and another smaller amount from its political action arm at FTX. And him and seven other Congress members, five of whom have already received campaign contributions from the crypto industry or FTX directly, signed a letter last March to the Securities and Exchange Commission asking them to not look into or investigate directly FTX. The letter condemned the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, saying, quote, and this is just part of the letter, the recent trend towards employing investigative functions to gather information from unregulated cryptocurrency and blockchain industry participants in a manner inconsistent with the Commission's standards for initiating investigations. Tom Emmer himself tweeted out support of the letter by saying, My office has received numerous tips uh, from crypto and blockchain firms that SEC Chair at Gary Gensler's information reporting requests to the crypto community are overburdensome and don't feel particularly voluntary and are stifling innovation. You know, I've heard these overburdensome, involuntary investigations can be very bad for unregulated businesses. Uh, many drug dealers have told me how one investigation into their business killed their business. Here's a clip of Tom Emmer at a hearing with Sam Bankman-Fried. And Tom decides to praise FTX for its respectable business practices. Sounds like you're doing a lot to uh, make sure there is no fraud or other manipulation. I thank you, Mr. Bankman-Fried, uh, again, for helping us understand the extensive guardrails a cryptocurrency exchange like FTX has in place to ensure sound crypto spot markets for investors. Nope, doesn't look like there's any fraud here. Thank you, Master, for donating to my party. Thank you so much. Now, you would think, after a clip like that, that he would have, I don't know, some shame, regret, apologies? Nope. Just a week after FTX collapsed, he was with a crypto trading group, a bunch of crypto bros, and said, you are here to stay, and nobody's going to rush in and put a huge wet blanket of regulation atop this industry because something didn't go right. 
which, by the way, is such a Minnesota thing to say. The last thing you would want on your crypto is a huge wet blanket. Trust me, where I live, it's cold. In another instance of what I would call uh, corruption, they are trying to open up people's retirement plans, uh, their 401ks, to crypto. Because, remember, it has no value. So in order to get value, it needs to seek out uh, people's real money so that they can invest into crypto. So two senators, both of whom have received some kind of contribution from either FTX or the crypto industry, Senator Kristen Gillibrand of New York and Senator Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, went on television to tell people that it's an A-OK thing to invest your 401k into cryptocurrency, even though the Labor Department urged companies and people to treat investing into crypto with your 401k with extreme care, which is, to put it very mildly. Here's the two senators' response to if people should put crypto into their uh, 401k retirement plans. Hey, hey senators, uh, two questions for you. One is, and I'm sure you saw this a little over a month ago, Fidelity, the largest 401k manager in the country, um, announced that they were going to offer uh, Bitcoin uh, to users or to consumers. Uh, companies have to choose to allow their employees to put Bitcoin in their 401ks. Uh, the Labor Department came out and said, this is a terrible idea. What do you think? I think the Labor Department's wrong. Senator Gillibrand, you agree, disagree? No, I agree. And that's why this piece of legislation is so important. Bipartisanship. We love to see it, folks. At least both parties can agree on screwing us over. But what's that? They've tried investing into crypto with their retirement plans in Canada, you say? Canada had a pension fund that was, uh, I think, about $90 million in the hole after FTX's bankruptcy. The piece of legislation that they were both trying to push was to put cryptocurrency under the exclusive regulatory authority of the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, or the CFTC, a much weaker enforcement body than the SEC, the body that I talked about earlier that was trying to investigate FTX before it collapsed and could have found out about its fraud much earlier. That legislation pushed by those two senators was also helped by a lobbying group named ADAM, which stands for Association of Digital Asset Markets. And you want to know who helped to start this group? You guessed it. Sam Bankman-Fried of the recently failed crypto trade exchange FTX. As a matter of fact, he spent $670,000 in lobbying last year, basically buying time with senators and representatives, asking them to make rules that would be more favorable to crypto. So what should we do then after FTX collapsed and all this very intentional evading of any oversight besides uh, the oversight that the crypto industry wants, which is to make the rules for themselves that are different from all the other rules that govern everybody else? First, uh, we shouldn't trust 
the crypto industry when they say they want regulation because that's what Sam Bankman-Fried made his entire brand off of. They want specific regulations for themselves because, again, cryptocurrency has no value because they are not accepted currencies. We don't pay taxes in Bitcoin or in DuckCoin, but in U.S. dollars. But in order for these crypto millionaires and billionaires to make money, they need to steal your real money. And the best way to do that is to get you to trust them. And the best way to get you to trust them is to make up rules to make you feel safe so you can invest your real money into crypto. They'll make a user agreement. But as we saw with SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, he didn't even know his own user agreement and violated it anyway. So we cannot trust them. The best way to solve this problem would be to use the regulations that we already have. We already have rules against Ponzi schemes, pump and dump schemes, and all sorts of financial white-collar crimes that go on in the financial industry. And while that is surely not enough, it's better than starting with nothing. For example, casinos are often regulated the same as financial institutions at a state and federal level. We could do the same with crypto. And if we really want to warn people about the dangers of investing into cryptocurrency, we can put warning labels on any sort of investment into crypto like we've done with cigarettes, for example. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. But here's the bottom line. I think the biggest takeaway from this thing is that this kind of thing happens in America all the time. There are always these billionaires in new industries or old industries who want to buy off politicians to make rules for themselves or even get rid of all the rules before so that they can rip off American consumers and workers. Honestly, this is the end result of free market capitalist society, of that constant competition. It's a Ponzi scheme because essentially capitalism is a Ponzi scheme. We can't all make it to the top, but we want to believe that we can make it to the top. And that's how these politicians get away with these industry-friendly policies, because people think that they can get rich off of this too. But now, look at FTX. All that money, all those people who invested in that, won't be getting their deposits back anytime soon. And some of them didn't even have that much money to begin with. Do you know where SBF is right now, where Sam Bankman-Fried is? He's out on bail because in this country, you can get away with a crime as long as you have enough money to pay for the bail. He now also has a substack, which is basically a blog, because apparently his tweets were not enough words for him to communicate how sorry he is and how not guilty he is. Anyways, that's all I have for you. That's our show. Thank you so much. This has been a long time in the making. This was longer than expected. Uh, I hope to see you next time. Please follow the show. Hopefully this goes out on air. And I'll see you next time. Looking for more from WSUM? If you're craving some cutting-edge music, our online stream, WSUM Freeflow, is the place to go. This internet-based platform delivers the best in hyperpop, rap, punk, hip-hop, and metal 24 hours a day, seven days a week and is home to some of our most spontaneous programming. That's WSUM Free Flow, available via WSUM.org.